Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right. You want to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6? We are in our... This is the... I guess this would be Mercy Hill's fourth message on the kingdom. And if you do not have a king and his kingdom workbook, okay, if you do not have one, they are at the back of the church by the coffee bar. It would be great for you to get one of those. We are in a series that we are doing that will be between Living Word and ourselves and Crosspoint, and we're working together to make this thing happen, and so different pastors are coming through to preach. Uh, The workbooks are daily reminder of what God has done, and so I'd really encourage you, if you do not have one of those books, please get one. They're very, very helpful, not just because I wrote this week's devotionals, but they're pretty good. So if you would just get those before you, if, before you would leave, if you don't have one of those, it'd be great. All right. I appreciate Brian and Jane sharing that with us because we, they, as they talk about adoption, adoption is such a clear picture of what God has done for each one of his children, bringing them out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into his family, his full rights as children, not, not as like kind of second-class citizens in his kingdom, but full children. And, and I just think this is, this is the, such a clear picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, being brought out of one family and being brought into the family of God. And so we commend that as a church. It is important to us. We want to see many people in this church fostering, adopting uh, doing things like safe families or bringing children into your home that, that need a home, that is important to us. And so I commend Brian and Jane for adopting, for Brett and Heather for doing safe families, for the Heaths for adopting. I think, man, it is, a, it is a wonderful picture. It is a wonderful message of Jesus Christ that would reach out and bring people into our own families. All right, we're going to pray and get started. Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to sing your praises we thank you for the, just the way that you, you move in our midst and the way that you continue to speak to us through your word. God, we know that the worship time has not ended when the singing stops, but Lord, you've given us an opportunity to worship you through your word. And so we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see and understand your word. Lord, open our ears to, to hear and receive your word with faith and with joy. And God, we ask this morning that you would just give us just such a sense of of what you are saying to us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I grew up in church, and I probably told some of you this story before, but I grew up in church, uh, grew up at Living Word Church for the most of my life, had a great upbringing, uh, loved, loved Living Word Church. We didn't, we didn't plan out of Living Word Church because we were unhappy with the way things were going, and so we're going to make a new way and make a better way. We moved out because we feel like the kingdom of God is expanding. As we talk about the kingdom of God and its expansiveness, part of that expansiveness is church planning. And so, by God's grace, we hope one day to continue to plant churches from this very church. That as we continue to grow, that we'll be sending people out into different areas to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. But I grew up in Living Word Church. I grew up going to church every Sunday we were the family that would get there early and stay late and stay later and later and later. And 
we were the kids running around. It's like, Mom, can we go? Dad, can we go? We're so sick of this place. We're just, you just want to talk the whole time. We don't, there's nothing to do. Everyone's gone home and we're still here. And I, hate, I just hate staying here till you know, 1 o'clock or 1.30 or however long it was. But that was, that was what life was like growing up. And I appreciate my parents giving us that, even though at the time we didn't understand it, but that rich heritage of saying, hey, look, church isn't just something you do on a Sunday morning. It's a way of life. Church is life. Church is more than just singing some songs, hearing a message, and going home and watching the Bears, okay? It is much more than that. It is about relationships. It is about community. And so when church is over at 11 o'clock and, the, and we wrap up and say, have a great week, church doesn't end there. Really, church is just beginning for the rest of the week. But growing up in that, after a while, for me personally, it became like going through the motions. And so as I got older, we'd sing the songs, hear the messages, hear the Bible verses, the offering plate would come around, put a couple bucks in, and you kind of just went through the motions. Went through the motions, and it didn't honor the Lord with my life. And as I got older in high school and into college, that just kind of became the norm for what church was like. And I wonder if how many of you have experienced that in your own lives, kind of like going through the motions. Show up to church. Here we can sing a couple songs. Okay, now we're going to pray. Now time to take out the Bibles for the message. Here comes the offering plate. Okay, now we're going to take communion, or, you know, however it goes. But the problem with going through the motions is that after a little while, after, that, after you've done that for long enough, that becomes the norm. It's not like you're going, oh, at one point you're like, well, I'm just going through the motions and I hope one day that changes. Pretty soon that just becomes all that you know. That just becomes the, the normal way of doing church is going through the motions. We've, we've been there at different times in our lives. But what, was, what I was doing was I was building a life for myself. I was building my own kingdom. And in my kingdom, here's how things went. I did things my way. If I didn't feel like singing the songs, maybe I'd sing them, but in my heart, there was nothing there. Wouldn't reach out to people, wouldn't care about the people that's going on in our world, just cared about myself. And as I began to do that, I began to build my own kingdom. Here's how things work in John's kingdom. Here's how things work in my little slice of life. Here's how we do things. Here's how I operate. Here's how I think about church. Here's how I think about outreach. Here's how I think about all these other things in my life. And I begin to build a kingdom for myself. In one, one chance um, spring break that we had from college, my cousin Amy Katinsky, who's now Amy Maples, she invited me to go on a college retreat with her her Christian campus ministry, and she was at the University of Tennessee at the time, and she invited me to come with, and believe it or not, Purdue Calumet had the exact same spring break as University of Tennessee, and so I was able to go with her and all her college friends to Panama City, Florida. And I thought, Panama City, Florida, it's great, it's on the beach, we have a good time. But what happened in this Panama City beach experience with, with Amy's college ministry down there was something that I wasn't ready for. And as I went down there, I really believed when I was in college, this is, this, is, this is where I was at, that if you wanted to live for Jesus, you had to be a nerd or a dork or just, man, you're just not going to have any fun. All, the, all your friends, they don't do anything except study the Bible. And 
And so I believe that. And as I went down in this college retreat, the place where I met my wife for the first time, um, we went, as I went down there, it was like I saw people my age who were loving Jesus Christ with all their hearts and having a great time. And as the speakers, we had like different sessions throughout the day, worship and messages and stuff. As that began to unfold throughout that week, I began to hear the message of Jesus Christ I had heard my whole life. I wasn't hearing anything new about the message. But what happened was, as I began to hear this message, somehow God began to break into my cold heart, my apathetic heart. God began to break in. And suddenly, these messages that I had heard my whole life began to make sense. It began to, to penetrate and pierce my cold heart. And I remember one night sitting on this balcony in Panama City, Florida, with a couple other guys who were in our rooms. They were like a room leader and a couple other guys in the room. And so these guys I never knew before. I never met them before. And we're sitting in this balcony overlooking the beach in Panama City, Florida. And I say to the guys, like, look, man, I am not living for the Lord. My heart is cold towards God. And I just feel like the Lord is just convicting me. This is not the way to live. Going through the motions is not the way to live. Doing things my own way, building my own kingdom is not what God has for my life. And I feel a conviction of God in that moment. And I say to the guys, I go, guys, would you gather around me and would you pray for me? Because I don't know what to do. I'm feeling this conviction in my heart, but I don't know what to do with this. And the room leader in his wisdom says, you know what, John? How about you pray and we'll gather around you and we'll agree with you in prayer. And I'm like, well, what do I even say? I mean, I feel like I, I kind of like gave my life to the Lord when I was like six or something. I went to church my whole life and knew all the songs, knew all the verses. And now confronted with the fact of, of me encountering God, I had no idea what to say. And so on that balcony, I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord, confessing sin, repenting for the things that I've done, asking God to break my heart, to change me forever. And God met me on a balcony in Panama City, Florida. And he changed my life forever. I don't know if, if at that point was when, when, I, when I became a Christian or not. I don't know. But I do know this, that my life was never the same again. I encountered God on a balcony in Panama City, Florida. And he broke me. And I remember on that balcony just weeping, crying before the Lord, crying before all these other guys that I've never met before, just pouring my heart out to God. And these guys are standing around me just praying for me. It's encouraging me, agreeing with me in prayer. What happened was in that moment, the kingdom that I had built, the kingdom that I had constructed for my own life, came crashing into the reality of who God is. It came crashing into the reality of God's kingdom. My kingdom came face to face with God's kingdom, and my kingdom crumbled. Couldn't stand. Could not stand in the face of who Jesus Christ is. I met the king, and I was changed forever. My kingdom came crashing down in the light of who Jesus Christ is. Now let's turn over to Isaiah 6. Although I had just a small little experience on this balcony of Panama City, the prophet Isaiah has a much bigger, different experience than, I ever, that I ever, than we ever could imagine. And 
here in Isaiah, we read in, in verse 1, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his eyes. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here we have a picture, Isaiah, a vision of the king, almighty God in his throne room. And he says, My eyes have seen the king. There is a king in Israel and there's other kings on the earth, but I have seen the king. There is no other kingdom that can stand to this kingdom. I've seen the king. What is Isaiah's response to seeing the king? He says this, woe is me, for I am lost. In the NIV it says, I am ruined, or I am doomed, as the NLT reads. I am lost, I am ruined, I am doomed. Isaiah's response to seeing the king is repentance. I mean, Isaiah up until this point has built his life the way he wanted to live his life. Done things the way he's wanted to do things. And he comes face to face with a greater king. Sure, he's seen some kings, but he's seen nothing like this king. He says, woe is me. And his life was changed forever. Nothing would be the same again. His life, he says, has come to nothing. As a matter of fact, I live among a whole people that have built their lives and they're nothing. We're all ruined. Caught a glimpse of the king. This is an appropriate response to the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God. It's, re- it's repentance. This is what happens when a small king comes in contact with a more powerful, more glorious, more majestic king. It's surrender. This is surrender. Isaiah comes in contact with the king and he can do nothing but surrender. What is he going to do? He can't even stand in his presence. He surrenders. Now that's a glimpse of the throne room of God. We're going to fast forward and go into the book of Mark, chapter 1. We're going to look forward about 700 and almost just short of 800 years later. And instead of God bringing every single person on earth into his throne room, to see the thing that Isaiah saw, what he does is this. He says, instead, I'm going to come to earth, this majestic, this holy, this righteous king comes to earth 
to pursue sinful people, to bring them back to himself. This is what God does. God could easily pull back the curtains of heaven. We all get a glimpse of what God is like. We see his throne room. We have an Isaiah experience, and then that's it. But instead, God has chosen to instead come to earth to redeem us. And Ryan Heath gave a, just a real good reading of Luke 15, talking about God pursuing the sheep. God's the shepherd pursuing the sheep. In this story, he goes after the one. He is pursuing the one. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. Came to seek and save the lost. So we turn over now to Mark chapter 1. And now the king shows up. The king shows up on earth. He's come to redeem his people. We're going to look in verses 14 and 15. And this is the king's call to the people. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is Jesus' first recorded words in Mark's gospel. The first thing Mark says, this is what Jesus Christ came to say. He says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. This vision that Isaiah saw of this glorious king is now come to earth to redeem humanity, to call people to himself. And he says this is the time is fulfilled. This, write this word down, urgency. The time is fulfilled. What Jesus is saying is this. It's not chronological time. It's not three o'clock in the afternoon. Now the kingdom of God is here. He's saying there is a time on earth where God's decisive action is happening. God has begun to inaugurate his kingdom on earth. And it's right now. There is an urgency to Jesus' message. There was one Sunday after church, we were driving over to some friend's house. Michelle and I were driving in our old beat-up car to down uh, Thornton, um, Thornton Lansing Road, I think it was, over a set of railroad tracks. And as we approached the railroad tracks on Thornton Lansing Road by the police station, this nice BMW is in front of us, and he pulls up onto the tracks and he stops, right on the tracks. And... So we just kind of just wait there, like, what's this guy doing stopping on the tracks? Well, the guy gets out, his girlfriend jumps in the driver's seat, and he starts trying to push his car off the tracks. There's a number of sets of tracks, and this guy wasn't getting really far. Well, there's an urgency. He ran out of gas on the railroad tracks. The worst possible place to run out of gas on a set of railroad tracks. There's an urgency to getting that car off the tracks. This isn't a, hey, maybe when you get around to it, we can, we can get to this. I jumped out, helped help him you know, push his car. I should have just went up and just ran the back of his car with my car. That would have been very funny. My car would have been fine, I'm sure. But we helped him get this car off the tracks. And it's the same thing with Jesus saying, look, the time is fulfilled. There is an urgency to this message that I'm bringing. This isn't a get around to it later. This is a now kind of message. There's an urgency to this message. It says, number two, the kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom that we see in Isaiah chapter 6, with God reigning and ruling, he says, is now 
here on earth. It's now here in our midst. It's right now. This is what's happening. The kingdom of God is at hand. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom. And this kingdom hasn't come with thrones or temples or smoke or great fanfare or all the, all the world looking upon Jesus Christ at his birth and his ministry. And he didn't do that. He's come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it was hard to believe because everyone was expecting a political ruler, a military leader. Everyone was expecting this great and mighty and powerful and someone with all the worldly influence, someone with connections in all the right places, someone who knew how to get things done. People were expecting that kind of leader to show up, that kind of Messiah. Instead, they got a homeless carpenter. Isaiah chapter 53 reads this, speaking about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So this great and mighty Messiah shows up. He didn't come looking like Jim Caviezel in the past. He didn't come looking like the, the blonde-haired, tall, British-accent guy in the movies. He came as a homeless carpenter. He came to bring the message. And there was nothing about him that people look at him and say, that has got to be someone special. He was a simple, ordinary-looking guy who came to earth as the king to redeem his people. And he says, look, the time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Therefore, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this king? He says, repent and believe in the gospel. It's funny, the same thing that Isaiah experienced in that throne room of, of falling on his, his face saying, woe is me, I'm ruined. I am doomed. I am lost. The same thing that Isaiah experiences, the same thing that God is calling us to. When we see the glory of Jesus Christ, when we see the glory of the King in light of who we are, that is a similar response that we have. It is an appropriate response. It is an appropriate response when, when, our, when each one of our kingdoms comes into contact with the King, His kingdom, a superior King, it's surrender, it's laying our lives down. We've encountered a more powerful king. We turn away from our kingdom and turn towards God. Colossians 1, we don't have to, you don't have to turn there, but Colossians 1, 18 and 20 says this about Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ wasn't just man. He was fully God as well. The same God that Isaiah saw sitting upon the throne in all majesty and glory and in power has now come in Jesus Christ to redeem mankind. And our response is repentance. It's surrender. It is surrender to God. Because we've all been building our own kingdom. We've all been serving ourselves. Think about my own life. What do, what do I need to repent of? 
What do I need to surrender to the king? When my kingdom comes, comes into re- the reality of who God is and God's kingdom, how should, I re- how should I respond? What about my anger? What about my neglect? My laziness? My impurity? My greed? My selfishness? Each one of us can relate and say, look, there's areas in my life that I have not surrendered to the king. There's areas in my life that I've said, this is my kingdom. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is how things are going to work in my kingdom, in my realm, in my dominion. This is how things work. I remember there was a time when Michelle was building a laundry basket in our laundry room, and it was getting late at night, and for whatever reason, we always start some weird project at like 11 o'clock at night, and Tonight we had to put together this laundry basket in many sections and this, all this kind of stuff. And Michelle really wanted to get this laundry basket put together and done. Well, I, gave, I helped her for about five minutes, kind of sized up the project. I'm like, look, this is not getting done tonight. I will, I'll help you tomorrow. And I know this is really important to you, but I got to go to bed. I got to work in the morning. I don't know what you're doing in the morning, but I got to get to work. And, um, and so I went upstairs and, and jumped into bed and... I'm sitting there in bed, I'm thinking, Michelle's down in the basement putting together this thing, which I should be doing in the first place. And I just feel the conviction of the Lord. Just, you need to go down there and you need to help her. You need to value her time. You need to value her above your sleep. And what's important to her should be very important to you. You should have had this done a long time ago. You ever have one of those moments where as you, as you begin to as you begin to do something, you look back and think, what was I thinking? So selfish. It was all about my kingdom. It was all about my realm. It was all about me. So I went downstairs, and I think we put together the laundry basket in like five minutes. It's just kind of funny, though, how you just think, you know what? It's all about, it's all about me. I don't care how long it's going to take. I want to get my sleep. It's my selfishness. And I had to repent. I had to come to Almighty God and say, God, in my kingdom, I go to bed when I want to go to bed. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I repent. Experience the grace and forgiveness of God. We talked about this a few weeks ago in James 4. All conflict is because I'm not getting something that I want. It's a conflict of kingdoms. All conflict is at the root, me not getting what I want. Whether that could be a good thing. I want love, respect, I want to be shown kindness, whatever it may be. When I don't get that, conflict happens. I'm not getting something I want. That's, that's the root of all conflict, and James 4, it says that. But what it is, is a conflict of kingdoms, right? When we get into a, a disagreement with someone, it's usually a conflict of kingdoms. I've got my kingdom, you have your kingdom, and they butt heads sometimes. When that happens, there's conflict, because it, it works this way in, in this person's kingdom, and it works this way in my kingdom, and when these two conflict, all hell breaks loose. And maybe we want good things, we want it too much. So we begin to demand our kingdom. Same thing happens with us and the Lord. We begin to build our own kingdom. When we come into con- conflict with the king, our only response is repentance. It's forsaking our sin. It's forsaking the things that we demand. We want too much. We want more than God. And asking for forgiveness. We surrender to the greater king. In Romans 1.16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus says to repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news that there is forgiveness for our sins. He doesn't just say, repent, say you're sorry, grovel, and maybe something will happen. He says, repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news that our sins have been forgiven, that Jesus Christ has come to die for our sins, that he's come to redeem people for himself. That is the good news. It is the power of God for salvation. And so when, we, when our kingdom comes into conflict with, with God's kingdom, we have hope for forgiveness because Jesus Christ has paid the way. It is in the gospel that the glory of this king is revealed. Jesus Christ didn't come to reveal his glory by building a great big palace or castle or building a bigger temple or establishing some kind of um, lineage of, of, of kings and kingdoms. You know what he did? His glory was revealed in the cross. And something that we think is, the rest of the world thinks is foolishness. His glory is revealed in the fact that the king died for his subjects. That the king died for our sin. That the perfect and holy king died and became sin, our sin upon his body on that cross. That is how the glory of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. It's in the cross. And it's unlike anything we could ever have seen before. He is revealed in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 reads this. You don't have to turn there. The gospel of the glory of Christ. It is the glory of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins. The punishment that we deserved has been put upon him. And we have forgiveness. Repentance. We have hope in repentance because Jesus Christ has died for us. Repentance and faith, believing the gospel, it brings us into the kingdom of God. But repentance and faith doesn't just bring us into the kingdom, and that's just that we're done with repentance and faith. Repentance and faith is how we live in the kingdom. It's how we live in the kingdom. This is what kingdom life looks like. It's, it's repentance and believing the gospel. And what happens is, in my life, is I begin to forget the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ. So as I begin to hear these messages, it becomes just a message. It, it just starts, it, just, it doesn't affect me. And I lose sight of the glory of Jesus Christ. I lose sight of how great he is. And that's why when, when some, some Sundays after we leave church, we, heard, we, hear, we, we sing the praises, we hear God's word proclaimed, and we get in the car and we start fighting about what's for lunch. Or we get into a big argument over something ridiculous. How does that happen? We just encountered God, and here we are arguing about where we're going to go to lunch. And I think for each one of us, it's like we're that car where the alignment's off, right? How many here people are driving a car with the alignment being off? Okay, good. See Matt Crow. Oh, wait. Matt, your car is driving with the alignment off. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. But it's like that. It's, you know, as soon as you let the hands off the wheel, guess what? The car begins to go into the next lane. And I think for us, we can hear this message, but so quickly that alignment goes off and we begin to veer off into the next lane. How do we get back? How does the alignment get fixed? How do we get back to where the wheel is going straight where it should be? 
It's repentance and believing the gospel. That is how we live our lives. And in those moments, we're getting those huge arguments over something we can't even remember what we're arguing about. It's in those moments where we can say, please forgive me, Lord Jesus, and would you please forgive me, the person we're arguing with. It's in those moments that Jesus Christ comes and enters our lives and realigns the alignment on our car. My friend Scott is going to share a testimony of the way in which God has worked in his life and his marriage. And I think this is a beautiful picture of the way in which the alignment gets, gets right and set right again. Hello. Um, my name is Scott Black, and I'm going to read my testimony because I can't look at you and remember. Um, I was saved when I was nine years old. I grew up in a Christian family. My father was a pastor for a period of time. Um, I was strongly was encouraged to read my Bible daily, pray, and sing louder in church. When I had problems, I was told to pray about them. I didn't really know how and didn't understand what I read in my Bible. My father had good intentions, but didn't walk with me through them. I slowly found other interests and pursued them. I studied art and drawing throughout my life into college, thinking that this would be my calling. It hasn't been yet. I finally found someone who I wanted to marry. Amanda and I have been married for 13 and a half years. We have five kids. My father left six and a half years ago. My parents divorced. It has just been in the last year or so that it has really sunk in. I withdrew from Amanda, and I did not run to God. My relationship had struggles that got worse, and we have never dealt with them. I did not lead my wife in prayer or devotions or read my Bible anymore. A childhood uh, introduction to pornography in the sixth grade would re-occasionally occur in art class, on a job site, or even at our uh, family computer at home. I, of course, kept this a secret and even lied to Amanda when she would confront me. My guilt kept getting worse, and my walls grew taller. Our relationship continued to get worse. I still did not man up to my sin or turn to God. It was in September of last year that Amanda asked me if I wanted to go to a marriage conference. I said yes and was actually excited about it. That conference changed my life and my marriage, and it has been a start to a renewed walk with Jesus. I admitted my moral failure to my wife, asked her forgiveness, confessed my sins to Christ, and asked him to forgive and change me. I also talked to my pastor and my mother. Then I sat my kids down, along with Amanda, and confessed my sin to them. I explained how it was my fault that our family was angry, and why Mommy and Daddy were fighting, and why they were having bad dreams often. I told them I was sorry for making Mommy angry, and not being the dad that God wanted me to be. I told them how hard it was living with sin and secrets. I also encouraged them to right now confess any sin that they got away with, or wanted to tell us. I told them that they would not be punished for it by us. It is important to talk to us and be honest and open now because it gets harder the longer you let it go on. This talk, I dreaded giving my kids that their dad was a failure. But God and has his ways and his rewards for doing what is right and following his prompting. My oldest son, Dylan, was fighting tears during a talk. And when I was done, he raised his hand and confessed a few things that he had been doing to us without our knowledge. Cheyenne, our second, later confessed something to Amanda while getting tucked into bed. I was tucking in our third, Gabriel, when he very seriously said, Daddy, I want to be saved. 
That threw me. I was not expecting it. I grilled him to see if he really knew what he was asking, but could tell with the tears in his eyes that he wasn't put on a show. Amanda and I together explained salvation to him, and he prayed by himself for Jesus to come into his heart. About a week or two later, our fourth, Mariah, also asked to be saved. That was worth the pain and the embarrassment. God showed me, do not fear in doing what is right. I had hope again, and I had a huge weight lifted from me. This whole process has been met with much spiritual oppression along the way, and at times I feel like a hypocrite again because I still fail. I again have to admit my failure and start all over again. Amanda and I still have our fights, and we do things that we still have to ask our kids to forgive us. But the key is to be willing to own up to my faults and to deal with them. We now try regularly to have our family devotions with our kids. I have been doing things that are far from my comfort zone to keep on the straight and narrow, and my conscience is clean, and my wife and kids respect me now. Psalm chapter fifty fifteen says, Call upon me in a day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Can anyone relate to that? Scott was building his own kingdom, living the way he wanted to, until his kingdom came crashing into Jesus Christ, the king. Came crashing into the king. Living in the kingdom means that we turn from building our own kingdoms, living life the way we want to live, and realizing that it is all about Jesus Christ, laying our lives before him. This is the battle that we, that we have for the rest of our lives, but it is a battle marked by the grace of God, by the grace and mercy of God. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to die for those people who have decided to build their own kingdoms. That's the good news. That's all of us. Each way we've built our own kingdoms in some way. And the fact that Jesus Christ rule and reign that grows and increases forever, that we've read about in Daniel, that this still continues to happen today. And the same call goes forth from the church today. Just like it did in Scott's life, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We're going to begin to distribute the elements for communion. But I want to give you a chance to talk with the Lord I want to give you a chance to respond to God right now. Maybe you've never given your life or surrendered your life to God. This can be the day. Maybe you've got a place in your life where those things like greed and anger and selfishness or pornography or anything like that is, is, is in your life. You say, I need to surrender this to Jesus. I need this kingdom to crumble. I need God's kingdom to be established in my life. We have a moment to do that. We're going to distribute the elements and we'll take communion together as a body. But as we're passing them out, I wanted just to take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to help us. So God, we, we come before you this morning and we recognize our need for you. God, we recognize that as we build our own kingdoms, God, that Lord, when they are confronted with the glory and majesty of your kingdom, that they cannot stand. 
Lord, nor do we want them to. Lord, I pray that you would give us the gift of repentance today. God, the things that we are harboring in our hearts, the things that we have, the sin we've committed against one another, the sin that we've committed against you, God, that we would repent and believe the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask, Lord, I I pray, God, allow us to see your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen. They're going to continue to pass it out. I want us just to take a moment in your own talk with God to confess, have a moment to go before God on your own and ask him to move upon your life, see your kingdom come down and his be built.